It's the Photography Podcast back again. Uh, there'll be some photography links a bit later on. Uh, I'm running a bit late, I know. The podcast originally should have been out about three weeks ago, but the Tour de France has been getting in the way. There's not many times that Brits are at the top of sport, so you'll have to uh, excuse me for that. Uh, Bradley Wiggins at the moment looks as though tomorrow he's going to win the Tour de France. And not only that, we're going to have a British rider come second as well. And who who knows, we may even have a British rider win the stage if uh, Mark Cavendish is launched, so to speak. So it's been quite um, a tour de France for the British. Uh, and generally, we've not been great cycling-wise. This is something that's come on recently. I've been enjoying a lot of the photography with the tour de France as well. It's um, It's something that I blogged about recently. There's not that many sporting events that you can photograph up close uh, consecutive days, if you wish, um, and get images that are probably just as good as the professional gets. Uh, Often we see sporting events where they want to put distance between the event itself and the spectators. Formula One is a classic example of this. Um, I know it's done for safety reasons, but it just seems that, um, I don't know, it's just a distance tends to put me off. I was a big Formula One fan many years ago, um, and I did consider, consider going to somewhere like Silverstone, but when you actually look at the ticket prices and you look at where you are in the stands and things... Uh, I don't know. Maybe you're better off watching it on television. You get a a better all-round picture of the race and things. With cycling, you don't tend to have that problem because it's done along the roads and in many cases you can get too close to the action, um, as one photographer found out when he was stood there in the way. Uh, he just stood too long in one place and the uh, the riders just didn't have anywhere to go. But... You know, that's part and parcel of uh, the Tour de France. That's what makes it great, is the the, the access. So, uh, it's been great to see some of the images from there. And some of the Instagram images, funnily enough, were actually quite entertaining. There was a a great shot of the King of the Mountains, Thomas Voigtler, um, going up one of the mountain sides, taken on an iPhone. It was a perfectly decent image. He looked great. Uh, I didn't see a problem with it, but... Uh, some people just really do not like iPhone photography. I have a link a little bit later on, which uh, is a great piece by David Campbell, who is uh, great at putting the context into photography and uh, just discussing photography issues and things. He's not actually a photographer, but he just deals with some of the, the issues to do with photography, and generally speaking, I agree wholeheartedly with what he usually says. Uh, I especially agree with what his recent post about iPhone photography is, but I've mentioned iPhone photography before on this podcast, and I'm not going there, certainly not at the moment anyway. But I will give you the link for the David Campbell discussion uh, that he uh, the post that he put up on his website because it does make an awful lot of sense even if you aren't using any of the photography apps it is uh, it is worth reading if you are just interested in photography it is a bit of a minefield there's 
a lot of people out there who are what I would call purists, photography purists, they're talking about, they're using quite inflammatory language actually. Uh, they're talking about the purity of the image. They're talking about, you know, the use of uh, normal or proper cameras. Uh, what is a normal camera? A camera to me is anything that can take a photo. And uh, that could be literally anything from an old shoe box right the way through to an $8,000 Leica. So, you know, it's a bit of a mixed bag, really. A camera is whatever takes an image. It is not something that has got a manufacturer's stamp on it somewhere. Right. So that will be the first link. Um, like I say, it's a bit of a delicate topic, that, and I don't like concentrating too, too much on it, but... It's an interesting discussion, and I think it will get even more interesting. Just a final point on this. What is the difference between an iPhone that takes photographs using something like Hipstamatic and makes gives them a filmy quality, whether it be uh, an old-fashioned film or black-and-white film, whatever it is, and a Leica monochrome camera that's about eight $9,000, something like that, um, that you take a photograph on that, it's a digital camera, but it makes it look like it was taken on film. What's the difference between the two? I don't think there's that much difference, do you? Okay, this is the second photography link, but I suppose it's the first photography link for actual photography, uh, where there's actual pictures that you can have a look at. This is Lovely Sky Monsters, and it's by Camille Seaman. She went around photographing uh, Supercell storm clouds in the midwest round western nebraska places like that the images i suppose you would some people would describe them as cloud porn but i always hate that idea of sticking you know whatever it is and then porn on the end it's, it's sort of uh i don't think it does the photography any justice really um it's not a very good way to describe stuff her work is very very good the light is just amazing. Storms always do produce a rather unusual kind of light. It's um, it's quite unique to a storm. Uh, and it's usually before and just sort of after. But usually sort of just before you get that unusual, intense kind of light that you get just before everything goes to this, vi uh, this violent... Um, experience that you you can watch if you're in the right place um a few years ago i went to to norfolk to do some uh, photography and uh, have a bit of a rest and things and for the whole of the two weeks that i was there the if followed the same pat where it'd be nice during the day and then later on you would have a storm and it was just absolutely brilliant being a photographer there because you could go out about four o'clock virtually on cue this storm would start rumbling in and the light would change and you would be able to get some absolutely fantastic shots and i did get some fantastic shots and some of them are on the website in the, on the uh in the norfolk gallery if you want to take a look but uh this work by camille is absolutely excellent and well worth a visit a twisted nostalgia life after the troubles this is quite a delicate project, um, but certainly a worthwhile one. It's it's talking about the problems of Northern Ireland, which, although they seem as though they've gone away, there are still tensions 
and difficulties lying underneath the surface and really this is what this photography project um deals with i mean uh, the the images are are actually quite impressive it's a difficult type of subject to 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 take really because you you've got to get in with the get in with the people and understand the situation and realize that there are people that are never ever going to get along uh there's always going to be religious problems political problems that will get in the way of uh they will they will get in the way of these people leave leading an ordinary life some things just go on for that long that it takes years and maybe never uh they will never get solved um but adam patterson um has done a fantastic job of taking these images and conveying the problems that the that the place have it's rather interesting about war photography that often war photographers will go there while the war is taking place and make no mistake about it northern ireland was a war zone uh at certain in certain periods in its its history it was a very very violent place um and yet they don't war photographers don't often visit afterwards now adam patterson isn't a war photographer but what i mean is they don't see how places try and join together they 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 often want to say hey this is a country ripping itself apart but they don't often want to document the country being put back together again um which i think is a bit of a shame really because often probably the better pictures come where you see a country trying to rebuild itself after the uh, after the troubles a good case in point would be bosnia there was plenty of work done about how bosnia was fracturing apart in the early 1990s but there was very little to show it how it was trying to be held together um certainly the work might have been taken but it, it wasn't as strongly pushed as it sh- maybe should have been maybe sadly the problem is with war photography is that violence sells and peace doesn't um which is rather a depressing thought but anyway adam patterson's done a fantastic job of conveying the, the problems and issues and i just wish there was more photography like this about other places the next gallery is this is the atlantic again this is in focus uh the photography blog that they have um, and this is a fantastic machine that found Higgs boson. I don't know whether this is a bit geeky. This is whether this is showing how geeky I am. But this is just an amazing set of images, just showing the, the complexity of the hadron collider that found the Higgs boson. I don't know whether large hadron collider, I should say, that's its full title. Um, the images are, are are absolutely fantastic and shows you the sheer scale of the project. The sheer complexity of the project. Um, they're probably a geek's paradise as well. So if you've got any friends, you know, who are into supercomputers and things like that, they're probably going to absolutely adore these these images. But it it just goes to show the t- the type of sheer scale of things. We don't often have these huge um, things. I always remember when I was a kid that we used to go past a, a shipbuilding yard on the way to my grandma's. Um, 
and seeing these huge ships go up used to be absolutely amazing when you were about six or seven years old and then you would get round the corner and then it would be a shift coming off and hey presto you get all of these men coming out it seemed biblical in size it really did did. i mean these days there's not that many places that employ the amount of people that a shipyard or a steelworks would do um, so you don't have that many people coming out at the end of the shift. But here, my dad actually used to have to slow the car down virtually to a stop because these men would be coming out, you know, and then all of a sudden they'd just disappear. They'd gone to their houses or got on the bus or wherever it was that they'd gone. We don't get that anymore. These pictures sort of do show that we do still do these large projects, but sadly they're just not seen anymore. Uh, they're usually hidden. Um, but they also work on a di- on a different level. They you know they document, but they they also have a a, a certain certainly some of the images have a, a certain architectural look to them. A sort of um, almost uh, I don't know a fine art look to them almost, which is rather weird for a scientific sort of undertaking. But the images are absolutely superb. From the Large Hadron Collider, we go to Arizona and Jim Lo Scalzo. I think I pronounced Jim's name correctly there. I always have a name that I have to work on to pronounce and probably mispronounce it badly. These uh, next images are quite interesting in the fact that they deal with an all-female chain gang in the county of... uh, in an Arizona county. Um, Yeah, it's quite quite a fascinating project, this one. Apparently, chain gangs were abandoned by the US in 1955. Uh, But then they decided uh, to start them up again in this uh, county in Arizona... Uh, Maricopa County. They decided to start it up in 1995, and a lot of the girls in this all-female. There's only one all-female chain gang in the United States, and basically they go out to get rid of the monotony of prison life. And Jim has gone through and produced uh, a series of images. Sadly, on this gallery which is the guardian there are only 14 i don't know whether the, there are any others it might be worth um googling his name what i will do is i will see whether he's got a website and i will add that to the links as usual as one of the bonus links um but yes the the images do sort of like show a different world um I think if you asked a lot of people, a lot of people would say that the chain gang had long gone. But these images obviously uh, show that that's wrong. And strangely enough, you know, the the images do convey that these women are, you know, quite emotional when it comes to uh, doing some of the jobs. Some of the things, you know, they're just tied in... uh, Tied in... The roads up by the side of the side of the roads, you know, getting rid of uh, getting rid of weeds and things like that. And then other times they're helping with unclaimed bodies and things like that, tidying up cemeteries and doing things, you know, that 
genuinely do seem to affect them emotionally, which is quite interesting. You would imagine that a lot of these women are, are quite tough, and they probably are. But then again, are we starting to form ideas about it just because they're in prison? You don't know the, the backgrounds of things. Um, a remarkable piece, and actually quite surprising when you think about it, that a man photographed it. If you, a woman had have been in a, a woman's prison, would she have got the same sort of photos? Would she have had bad, better access because... Um, you know, it was in a women's prison. Don't know. But Jim's done a cracking job anyway. So that is... Uh, I'm going to have another go at pronouncing this job. Jim Lo Scalzo. And the uh, only all-female chain gang in the United States. Great gallery. Could have been larger, though. The last photographic project to be linked to this podcast is by Sebastiel Salgado. We'll talk about a bit of class. I always do like Salgado work. He just um, I don't know whether it's the amount of time that he takes to produce it or the, the depth to it or the quality of it but the the guy, the guy just he, he's, he is definitely among my favourite photographers of all time. Um, I just absolutely adore his work. What I don't adore is the prices of his photography books, which tend to be rather on the steep side, but I suppose maybe you've got to show a bit of faith um, and actually buy his books. I was once going to buy Workers, uh, and then I saw the price tag, which was, I think it was about £55, I think. It was a lot of money anyway for a photography book. Um, And I think it was while I was a student still. Uh... So I decided not to get it, which I kind of kind of regret. I think it might be one of those books that I might have to uh, look out for um, on Amazon or something like that. Again, this is another gallery that's done by the the Guardian, and it's only twelve images, so you only really get a taste. I will try and find another gallery of Salgado's work and add that to the bonus gallery uh, links as well, because the photography is is just epic. But we start with a picture of the Brooks Range Arctic National Wildlife Refuge in Alaska. And really what Salgado is trying to do is to capture the last wild places in the world. Um, He's basically saying, and uh, this is part of even of the the title of uh, the gallery, this is what is in peril, this is what we must save. Um... Whether Salgado's work will, hopefully it will generate debate and hopefully it will generate uh, um, people to to think about the environment. But not only does he deal with uh, landscapes, but he also deals with um, indigenous people, people in the Kalahari. He's also taking a look at the uh, different uh, animals that are affected by what we do i mean in some cases you could actually argue that he's almost turning into a wildlife photographer with certain shots but of course some of the uh, some of the images are absolutely remarkable uh the the, th- the fourth one a dinka group at uh Pagarao cattle camp southern sudan 2006 it's just an uh, it's just a classic salgado image it just has all of that uh salgado look in it it does have a very distinctive style which is is quite rare these days for photography you can take a look at a salgado image and think yeah i know who took that 
Right, that's it for this month's podcast. I should be back round about the same time next month, hopefully with a podcast on time. Until then, I will say ta and see you next month. To check out any of the links mentioned in this podcast, go to darker-skies.com forward slash podcasts.